You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. you think? Yes, he is. Not think, we know it. Okay, so I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 14. I think it'll be up there or no? All right, Um, there's some tricky names, so I'm going to do my best. (laughs) Um, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to the Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. That is the word of God. There's a lot there. Um, I had last week said that I was going to be speaking into um, a particular topic. I'm not even going to mention, because I'm not. (laughs) I... uh, I felt this week like, like the Lord redirect me to this passage on Thursday and to speak from it, and we'll go into some of the other content in the weeks to come. 
But last week, we, we looked at uh, the story of Daniel and his friends from the same time period that this is from. Uh, this, is, this is the period of Israel's exile. It's often called the exilic literature about Israel, and it's the literature from their time of exile. And last week, we talked about and we looked at how Daniel and his friends were in Babylon serving in these places of authority like what we're praying for my dad for, um, with a different spirit. And we looked at how if they would have a different diet, and we have a different diet, where we feed on what the spirit of the Lord offers us versus the spirit of the age, we will be of a different spirit in those places. And why I see, like, point out why, I guess I should say, why we're looking into this portion of the scriptures right now. And it's because I really believe that there's a lot of similarity between what the people of God were living in in this time in exile in Babylon to us today in this culture. Maybe you've heard this type of stuff before, but there's a lot of similarities. You know, these Jews who had come to Babylon had been taken captive. That's what we're reading about, right? They'd been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and brought to the city of Babylon from Jerusalem. They had come from a culture that was rooted and founded in monotheism. One true God that they worshipped and served. That belief in the one true God shaped their culture, the way they did business, arts, all this stuff. Now there's a lot of um, history of Israel that you'll read about in that time where they weren't following the one true God, for sure, that led to this exile. But, but foundationally, as a people, that was the culture they were coming from. And they're brought to Babylon, which is a polytheistic culture. Many gods. Another word that we use for that to describe today's culture is pluralistic. We live in a pluralistic society as modern Western people. And in this society, like, and we've come as the church, we have come from an era of what many have called Christendom. I don't know if you ever heard that term before, but the term is basically talking about a time in Western history where the church was a major influence in the arts, in education, in government, and all of that. And we see the heritage of that still today in our government to some degree with inscriptions on our parliament buildings and all that type of stuff. But we're in a time that is much more, um, again, this term, pluralistic, right? Many beliefs. And this pluralistic mantra, you could say, of, of Babylon and of our time is believe whatever you want, serve whatever gods you want to, as long as it doesn't hinder you from serving our empire and our agenda. Does that, does that relate? It's like you can believe whatever you want. Totally cool. Serve any god you want. But only if it doesn't hinder you serving our empire and our agenda. You know, anyone in Babylon who claimed that they would serve and only bow to the one true God was considered to be a threat and thrown in a fiery furnace. Remember the story? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't say you can't bow in this story to other gods. He's saying, but you must bow to this statue that's been made. And it's very much the same today that if, if you claim to have one true God, exclusive truth, you are considered dangerous, narrow, 
exclusive, intolerant. And you might not get thrown in a fiery furnace, but canceled, right? Popular term. You see the similarities between Babylonian time for these exiles and us today. And I would just say, like, you know, maybe exclusive truth is seen as dangerous and narrow and arrogant and all that stuff. This is a tangent from my message, but I'm going to say it anyway. It depends on what your exclusive truth is. Depends on who your true God is. The God that we claim to be the one true God is Jesus. The one who gave up his rights and his privileges to serve. The one who, in order to display his love to the world and even his enemies, suffered death. The one who displayed his kingdom by healing the sick and forgiving sinners and embracing the outcast. This is who we believe to be the one true God. Jesus, this exclusive only door to God, welcomes and includes anyone and everyone who will forsake their self-seeking ways and embrace him as Lord and his world-welcoming, sacrificial, serving, loving way. So yes, very exclusive, one door to God, but that welcomes anyone and everyone who will repent from their sins, their self-seeking, self-serving ways, and follow King Jesus in his way. I don't know how that belief sounds dangerous. It's a call to serve. It's a call to lay down our lives for the good of others. It's a, it's a Lord who says, love your enemies. Give your life for them. Tangent closed. <laughs> so we have in this time period these, these Daniels, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego that we talked about last week. These guys who go into these high places of influence in business, in education, in government, in arts, and all that sort of stuff. But you realize there's four guys that we hear about. And if you read 2 Kings 24, there's 18,000 people who were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon at this time. The time that Telsey just read from, where Jeremiah sent a letter to them. And so there's these very few guys in these positions. And so what about the rest of them? And I would say, what about the rest of us? Right? Maybe there's a few guys like my dad who go and sit with presidents in other countries and talk about their education system and get into these places of influence. And God is raising up people like that in this day and has for years and will continue to do so. But what about the rest of us? What do, what do we do? And this is interesting because Jeremiah's letter says, he, he says to the elders and to these and to those, and then it ends with, and to all the other people who were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he gives these instructions. 
and his instructions to all the other people, you and me, to move in, keep living your life, and increase. Work and pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you. Do not believe the false prophets. And endure. Endurance required. 70 years, guys. And um, I want to look at these instructions, these encouragements from Jeremiah, what they were saying to those people and what they say to us. You see, because there were prophets who were there among them telling the people not to move into the city. They were living on the outskirts. And there were people saying, don't go in. Don't become a part of it. And the word of the Lord to them in this letter from Jeremiah is build houses, plant gardens, eat of its fruit, continue to give your sons and daughters in marriage and that they would increase, not decrease in the land. Move in. Don't stand at a distance or move. Don't run away. Stop seeing yourself as separate from the society and from the city. Engage with it. Be a part of it. Treat it like your own. Be fruitful in it. How many of you know there's a very difference, big difference between a visitor or a tenant in a home versus an owner? Big difference. Remember, now, my wife loves to decorate, so even when we rented houses, she made it really nice and pretty and all that sort of stuff. But when we bought our first house, we were knocking down walls, we were pulling wallpaper off, we took a chimney out, we completely redid the whole place. When you own something, take ownership of it. It changes how you engage with it. How many of you know you will treat a hotel room very different than your home? ever gone camping with my mom she almost turns the campsite into a home but still I just want to say in this time in this age I hear people talk about I'm moving I am leaving the country I am going to go to this place or that place where the grass is greener on the other side they are like talking literally about evacuating because things are going so bad. When did Jesus call his followers to self-preservation? Can somebody update me on like was there a revision to the Gospels or to the scripture that I missed because I didn't get the memo? Is it Gospel 2.0? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. When you, when you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But when you give your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you will find it. Jesus' way was this. God did not look from heaven at the, the earth and just stand back in judgment. He moved in. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I would say to you that there is a strong case in this exhortation from Jeremiah for, for what you've heard me talking about through the summer microchurches. Communities that incarnationally 
express Jesus and his kingdom in our city. Microchurches can get into places that the, the macro church, if you will, cannot. Can go to places in ministry and in mission that the big expression cannot. We're called to be a people who move in, get involved. What's the next thing he says? He says this, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. Notice he didn't say live on the outskirts of it and be very careful not to become like them. Yes, we're called to be different. We spoke about it last week. That theme is throughout the scriptures. But the, but the, the word from the Lord to these people in this time was move in, be a part of it, work for its good, pray for its good. So the question and the concern I believe of those people in that time and many today is how do I engage and be involved with it without assimilating? Without becoming just like the culture. Well, one of the key things I believe is, yes, different diet like we said last week. But also, what Jeremiah says here, pray for it. You stand in this position of actually praying to God to do something in that place. And that posture of prayer actually causes your heart to stay engaged in love for the city and for the place, but also engaged with the Father in heaven, who has a heart and a plan for the city. And so that place of prayer is actually this place of standing between both worlds, heaven and earth, right? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes, there is change that we're looking for, cultural transformation, if you will, making earth look more like heaven. But interesting point that Jeremiah says, he says that you work and pray for their good because when it prospers, what will happen? You too will prosper. Yes, of course, when the city we live in is improved and gets better and prospers, it's going to benefit us. But I also believe that there is a spiritual dynamic that happens that's very significant inside us when we choose to be a people of blessing. When we stand in a place of rather than cursing and criticizing our city and our society, but blessing it, there's something that happens inside of our heart. There's a prospering of your soul that is going to be a byproduct of you choosing to be a conduit of blessing instead of a conduit of cursing. And all too often we, we step back and we just become these critics, these critics of the culture. But I find it so interesting that even here in this command from um, the Lord through Jeremiah, there is a resonance of Genesis 12. 1,400 years before this, basically, Abraham had an encounter with God, the father of this nation Israel, and God had said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And here we have them, even in exile, the mandate hasn't changed. 1,400 years later. We'll talk more about that in a bit. 
But instead of being these critics at a distance, as God's people, we're called to be salt and light in the earth. Light obviously lights up darkness. Salt goes into places of decay as a preserving factor, a preserving substance. And I would ask you, what might happen if we started to regularly bless our city and our society instead of just criticize it? What might happen to you? I remember when I was down in school ministry with Telsey many, many years ago. Bill Johnson taught us something that has totally helped me throughout my life. He said whenever he's having a difficult time with somebody, a hard time with a person in his life, and he realizes like resentment and frustration towards them starting to build in his heart, he actually goes in prayer before the Lord for them and begins to thank God for things about that person. And he begins to list off some things he can be grateful for about them. And maybe your list is short as you start. But the inevitable result, and I have experienced this, is that as I start to thank God for that person and actual things about them that I can think of, something changes in my heart. My posture towards that person begins to shift. What might happen if we spend more time blessing our city and thanking God for it than criticizing and cursing it? Because I tell you something, prayer actually transforms you into a solution. When you start to pray, you actually start to get the heart of God for that people, for that place, for that society embedded into your heart, and you become a different person in that place. You become the salt and light. You become part of the solution. The wisdom that we need from heaven and the creativity that we need from heaven for this day and this hour come when we're in the presence of God in prayer. Not when we're in the presence of the accuser, fellowshipping with him and speaking curses. Jeremiah says, don't believe the false prophets. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They prophesy lies in my name. Now, if you read the context of this chapter... The chapters that precede it are all this back and forth between Jeremiah and these false prophets. One of them gets named Hananiah. And Jeremiah is telling them, guys, God's sending us into exile. 70 years, and this guy Hananiah is like, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. God says it's only going to be two years. You know, don't get comfortable there. You're coming back soon. And there's this like back and forth battle between the prophets. The true prophet of God, Jeremiah, and these false prophets prophets. And I would say to you today, there's many false prophets among us today in the church. I'm not calling anybody out here in the room or anything like that, but, but the, the uh, I honestly don't even have names in mind, but, and I'm not going to. Uh, Jeremiah names Hananiah and whatever. We'll Many of the false prophets, you know, maybe prosperity preachers. 
Now, that's a whole other thing. We can see right here in this scripture that God says he wants to prosper the city and prosper us. And there's, there's all sorts of stuff in there. That, that's God's way. That's his shalom peace. It's this full peace, this prospering in every part of your life, spirit, soul, body, all of that. He wants to do it. And so I think sometimes the prosperity preachers do get a bad rap. But there is a, there's a false prosperity gospel at work in the church that doesn't look at the realities of the way the world works, the way God works. And it's all just rainbows and butterflies and clouds and whatever. And it's just not the full gospel. But I would also say to you, there's a lot of these political preachers among the church today. Who, who they're, they're, they're marketing and getting on the bandwagon of this political spirit more than the gospel. And they get everybody riled up about different things. And it, remember, what does Jeremiah say? The dreams you encourage them to have. We actually create the opportunity and audience based on what we feed on. It's like supply and demand, right? There's good money in being a political preacher these days. There you go. You can fill your church. Get a big name on social media. But it's not gospel-centered. It's not focused on the mission of the church and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a distraction. They convince the church that we're in this culture war. We're not in a culture war. We're in a spiritual battle. And yes, culture will be influenced. Yes, we're believing for transformation. And so I know I'm like parsing words here. But I hope you catch what I'm saying, what I'm getting at. We're not called. We talked enough about it last week to be these angry people just shouting at everybody. The gospel is not an us-against-them message. The gospel is an us-for-them message. Working for the good of others. Loving the world, not condemning it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? You know the rest of the verse, and Jesus follows it up right after that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. We're servants. We're servants of our fellow human beings. We're servants to God when we take on a posture of service. Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So I encourage you, don't be deceived. A false message. One, that it's all just going to be roses and butterflies and rainbows. Or two, that you're supposed to jump on this bandwagon and, you know, tear down these people and rah, 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 rah. I mean, there's a place for passion in the church. Don't get me wrong. And I think that it's okay when we're grieved by what we see happening around us. I am not here saying, hey, guys, everything's all good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, like, I realize that we live in a, a crazy time. A world that desperately needs Jesus and his kingdom to come and impact it. But we're not called to be blame shifters or scapegoating. Or moralizing our political positions. 
gospel calls me preaching the gospel. And the gospel calls us to lay down our lives in love for other people. For the good of our city. And lastly, I just want to summarize the, the big portion at the end of what Telsey read. It's verses 10 to 14. And he says, when the 70 years for Babylon are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's the, here's the bumper sticker verse. You guys all know it. Probably, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and on he goes. But he doesn't agree with Hananiah and say, hey, don't worry, just two more years. He says, you're going to be here 70 years, guys. Build some houses, plant some gardens, have some weddings, have some kids, work and pray for the good of the city. Not escaping anytime soon. So what are you going to do while you're here? You're going to work for the good of the world around you. You notice the Genesis 12, we mentioned before, the Genesis 12 word to Abraham that was spoken 1,400 years before was still in effect for the people of God in that day. It's still in effect for us today. And I would say to you as well, Jesus' commission, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, dot, 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 is still in effect for us today. He hasn't changed the mission, changed the mandate. The top two commandments, love God and love people, this is a paraphrase, still in effect today. We're called to carry on in this posture, in this position as people in our city and in our society. And there is a future hope. Jesus offers and holds out to us ultimate restoration, new heavens, new earth, new bodies that is coming. King Jesus will return and make all things right. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ Jesus. And there's something about that coming restoration promise that actually gives you grace for today. This future hope, right? John Piper wrote a big, thick book on it. My dad quotes it often. Future hope gives you grace for today. I remember when I was a kid and my parents said, we're going to go on a trip to Disneyland. And we drove down the I-5 into California and you know, at eight years old, that's a long drive. But we were going to Disneyland. That was good. <laughs> you know, it was like, we knew where we were going. The destination gave me grace for the journey. And you know, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, you are in need of endurance in Hebrews 10.36. And then in Hebrews 12.1, he says, run with endurance the race set before you. There is this endurance needed Paul in Galatians 6 says, do not grow weary in doing good. We are in need of endurance, church. The focus on who we're called to be and what we're called to do. I have a memory when I was in second year peewee playing hockey. I think I would have been 12 or 13 years old. And my dad was coaching our team that year. And my dad was a 
drill sergeant. He was like, it was, it was, we were skating lines and we were, we just did skating drills for probably half the practices at least. And it was all about conditioning. It was all about endurance. It was all about getting us into a physical uh, state that we could go the distance in a game. And there, we may have played teams that were more skilled than us and had better shooters or whatever, but we became the probably most conditioned team in the league that year. We didn't lose one game that season. We had one tie, and the team we tied, we beat in tournaments and beat in the playoffs, and it was glorious. This was like the highlight of my hockey career, just so you know. <laughs> 12, 13, but like, it was this year where we just crushed and we dominated. But it was because in the third period, we actually still had gas in the tank. Because he didn't let us off the hook from being conditioned. How does this translate for us? How do we train to have the endurance that we require? I want to turn your attention to Isaiah 40. We're going to read verses uh, 28 to the end. Starling, put that up there. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So how does the believer train to go the distance? Wait on the Lord. What does it mean? It means that your hope is not in political parties. Your hope is not in city councils. Your hope is in the Lord. We look to him. We live with this, this firm, founded hope that King Jesus is working out good in the earth. That the everlasting God doesn't grow weary, doesn't get tired, doesn't faint, isn't running out of wisdom. We wait on the Lord. There is no substitute for time invested in your relationship with Jesus. I've said this often, and I'll continue to say it for years to come. God didn't just give us principles to follow. He gave us a person to follow, and his name is Jesus. And so again, it's not just a, okay, so Jeremiah said this, and Caleb preached it, and now I know what to do. But you actually have to grow close with Jesus. Get to know him. Spend time with him in prayer and in the scriptures. In fellowship with others, getting to know him. There's something about getting to know a person that, that goes way up in community. Because I know things about friends of mine because I'm friends with other friends of theirs. Because I hear stories about things they did when I wasn't there. I hear stories about something that was said or some past experience. And the reality is when you're in a community of other people who are seeking to get to know Jesus, you get to know Jesus in a deeper way. Again, strong case for microchurches. So what did Jesus do? He moved in 
right? He reproduced himself in others. He worked and served and prayed for the good of the earth. He rejected false teaching. And he confronted false teachers. And he went the distance. He didn't give up, even in the face of death. Guys, this is the thing we got to realize. Being loving, kind, um, civically minded, socially responsible believers doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. The most loving, pure love the world ever knew in the man Jesus was crucified for the love that he walked in. That's our Lord. That's who we follow. And the end is good. The end is glorious. The end is better than you could ever imagine, he says. And you know this, that if you, history lessons, you don't get this in the scriptures, but you can read other uh, parts of history. There was a vibrant Jewish community that developed in the Babylonian area. That years later, there was this rich community with a rich heritage of ones who actually never went back to Jerusalem when the exile was over. And this vibrant community was a key player in that area of the world. So I believe the words of Jeremiah and the life of Jesus calls us to repent. Stop our criticizing. Stop our standing at a distance in judgment. And he calls us to move in, to serve and to pray for the good of the city, to increase in the place. So we're going to close together today, and we're, what we're going to do is we're going to read out the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. It's going to be up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you guys to, to pray it out with me. Maybe you know it by heart, but if you don't, it's up there on the screen for you. But let's stand together and pray these well-known words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's our mission, guys. It's our call. I bless you today to go out and serve our city. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.